Welcome to Roto Pope episode number eight. I am your co-host Sean Birch, and as always, I'm joined by a, the Roto Pope himself, Aaron Sauceda. Aaron, I think you're on the move right now, but how's it going? I am on the move. Uh, it's going well. Um, I recently changed my Twitter handle to Roto Pope, by the way, so I'm trying to officially own that a little more. But yeah, I'm on. Uh, I'm on the road right now to the Seattle airport, so glad we're able to wed. Wonder we got some quality content out ahead of the NBA finals on Thursday. Not that people want to know the behind-the-scenes sausage making, but sometimes it's not always easy to allow on scheduling. I know you were uh, quite busy yesterday uh, with work. Feels like from the second you woke up to the second I went to sleep, you were working. That's right. No, uh, no time sipping pina coladas by the pool yesterday for me. I was at a conference, but yeah, pretty much from 7 a.m. to 10 o'clock, I was at Code Conference working my ass off. Um, not that my editors noticed. Anyway, um, <laughs> let's, uh, let's move along to something that we have been, I think, tickled pink by in the last 24 hours, and that's this Brian Colangelo, did he, did he not, Twitter fiasco. And <laughs> for the uninitiated, for those that somehow have missed this, uh, The Ringer ran a, a really nice report last night and in a nutshell, it showed that there were about five Twitter accounts that were sending some rather bizarre and startlingly similar, uh, very pro-Brian Colangelo, anti-Sam Hinkie, the former Sixers GM, tweets. And it started right around when Colangelo took the job about two years ago. We're also following a bunch of things tied to Colangelo, whether it was Sixers personnel uh, Sixers front office people, or even his son's basketball team, uh, or the University of Chicago. <laughs> um, anyway, when the ringer hit up the Sixers about this, two of the accounts went dark, but, uh, but or pardon me, they told him about two of them. And then all five yeah. of them went dark, though. So then that was just another smoking gun there where they were all t- linked together. And it just seems definitely rotten and dead. Yeah. Right. Anyway. No, that's, it, it, was, it was really bizarre. And well, actually, well, I, understood, I understood it slightly differently, maybe not, maybe not quite that differently, but um, I understood that there was someone who knew about this, and then to test it, they only rep- they knew about all five. They were fairly certain it was all five, but they only reported two because they wanted to see what would happen with all five of them. So, as you as you as you said, as expected, the two just I think were deleted and were shut down. But then well, the other three that he didn't mention kind of did some weird stuff, like they became private and. Uh, other weird things like where uh, it would just make you think that oh, that's weird that all three of these together, right? After this was released, kind of did the same thing, and I don't know, man. It's it's odd. Yeah, actually, so actually, there's a little bit of uh, more of a discrepancy there too. So one of them, the Sixers, one of the two that the Ringer took to the Sixers and said, "Hey, are these Brian Colangelo?" He actually acknowledged that one of them. Um, That's right. which hadn't even sent a tweet yet, was his. So when that actually started acting in coordination with the other ones where it kind of went dark as well, right, it just seems kind of like, like who else could it be, right? Like I'm firmly in the in the camp that this is Colangelo. And the, the seedy part here is that he was tweeting medical stuff about players, right? He was talking about Markel Fultz, and he was also talking about a failed physical for Jaleel Okafor. So you can't have a GM popping off like that, as Torch would say. Oh, yeah, no, it, it was bad. And then you mentioned it as well. 
great time, Joe. There was just some very bizarre tweets in there. I thought one that was particularly funny that made me laugh. Uh, well, you had sent – I woke up to a screenshot from you that highlighted, I guess there was an account called Eric Jr., so we thought that was funny. But um, the other thing that I thought was funny as I was reading it was – uh, someone for I don't know why someone asked this is like is this Brian Colangelo? Um, which <laughs> that, I think is I don't know. It's pretty funny that someone would ask. I wonder if that was suspected it was. They ultimately reported it. Who knows? Anyways, he responds, uh, no, but he's a classy guy. Thanks for the compliment or something like that. Or like no, he's way too classy. He worked with a like classy guy or something like that. It's, it's pretty funny, man. I don't know. I, I was cracking up at that. Oh, dude, this whole thing's a crack up. I mean, uh, we haven't even gotten to maybe my favorite part yet, which is the whole collar thing, where Brian Colangelo has these, like, fat collars on his shirts. And, um, hey, yeah, yeah, he, he was kind of, you know, defending his choice. He was, whoever these, if it's not Brian Colangelo, whoever's running this Twitter mastermind um, combo of five accounts, they, they were defending his collar choices. Yeah, no, I liked how he's like, the colors are they're normal get a new slant or something like that <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was a good line um oddly i mean i i don't even i don't want to come off as a defender of brian colangelo but i was looking at his shirts and i thought they looked fine also they looked pretty good i thought but still yeah. it, was a, it was a funny storyline yeah i i guess i kind of do agree with the bot slash brian colangelo on this one i mean they don't look too <laughs> you know maybe you know i was i was imagining something like out of like 1975 when i read that at first yeah yeah like the like those italian guys where they got those long ass collars i don't know you might like those but i don't um, uh, but you're right good fella style exactly it's not like joe pesci sitting at the table <laughs> in goodfellas because that's what i was picturing although hey that, yeah full circle brian colangelo is in fact italian so oh yeah there you go there you go yeah definitely a, a funny story um one of those out of left field um, what like uh, I don't know. We, we were actually just talking about Twitter burner accounts. Do you remember last time you were um, all over Durant for doing that? Um, just weird that these guys do that. I mean, it just shows that they're all they're all very flawed humans as well, and they don't take much to this uh, cyberbullying or whatever, like this clowning that they get. Yeah, they have thin skin. Uh, I don't want to belabor it too long, but just two more quick things. So this afternoon, Brian Colangelo came out and said someone's quote out to get me and this is clearly not me um begs the question right like who the hell would it be who's out to get brian uh and then last thing i wanted to ask you pope is oh go ahead first i was saying that was like one of the funniest things of all this to me it was like it's not like kevin durant where people are you know super upset that he went to the warriors and like he's just way more in the limelight it's just brian colangelo like he's still like a relatively high figure guy like a high profile guy but not that much. I just thought it was so odd. Yeah, I'm also looking at a picture of him right now. He kind of is bordering on the Lloyd Christmas haircut from Dumb and Dumber, and I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, one more thing for you. So, look, I think if the Sixers do find out, however they find out with this investigation they're doing, I don't, I don't know what that entails, but let's say they do find out it's Colangelo. I think you got to ax him, right? Oh, um. Oh man, that's a great question. Ask him for this. It's just so bizarre. Actually, so you can't have you can't this dude. You can't have someone uh, sharing player medical information on Twitter like yeah. that. No, you're absolutely right. That's what I was going to get to next. Was that um, I haven't really had a chance to look into the the scope of what he said. Just just by alone by having the five Twitter burner accounts. So my point was, I don't think that alone is grounds enough for firing. I mean, it's like I said, it's, it's bizarre, and I wouldn't want my GM doing that. So I, I shouldn't consider, but. 
I don't think that alone is enough, but you're right. Some of the information that he's tweeting out there certainly shouldn't be said. I, I think if, it, if he was just out there defending himself, then it would be a little bit harder of a sell. Like, it's, again, it's really odd and pretty petty and kind of ridiculous, but um, I don't know about fireable. However, having said that, if there was, like, crucial information, even just regular information that the, it's not necessarily public information about players and, and other people within the game, then, yeah, I think that certainly crossed the line and is fireable. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, he, I think he's, uh, what is it, auto-fire? I think it's auto. Um, okay. I'm let, let's, let's move on to another jello when it comes to our Angelo <laughs> segment here. Uh, Leangelo Ball, the middle ball bro, the least yeah. three, it seems. He had a, a Lakers workout yesterday. And I mean, <laughs> it, looked like, uh, it looked like you or me wearing the Lakers practice stuff, right? Like, he didn't even look like he was cut or anything. No, not at all. He looked terrible, dude. I, I watched the video of him running up and down the floor. Oh, you actually watched the vid? <laughs> not, I don't know if it was the whole video, but I watched like two minutes or so. Um, he looked like shit. Yeah, I, the only part I saw was him just running. It was just three-point line to three-point line, or like roughly free-throw line to free-throw line, shooting, right. a, shooting a jump uh, and then running back. He just looked terrible. Yeah. You, what, what do you mean? He looked terrible. Like, even his running form looked bad? He looked winded? Yeah, I just didn't look good. I don't think he's that good, man. He looked he, <laughs> like he's not in good shape. He just he looks like a regular Joe out there. Like you said, maybe a slightly better version of, like, me or you out there, but not by much. <laughs> um, and then I think I saw a couple of tweets afterwards saying that, like, he's not – I mean, I guess it was – I guess they're just trying to do the family, kind of keep peace in the family by, by giving him that. But supposedly there's just – no, like zero consideration for him within the Lakers organization, including the G League. So, um, yeah, I don't think he's getting a, a, a look beyond that, try the, the tree out he got. Right. So uh, first thing I'll say is, even if they were just doing it for the family aspect of keeping Zoe a happy camper, I mean, it's not like they're bringing in Brandon Ingram's bigger brother or something like that to work out. You know, it's just like, <laughs> where, do you, where do you call it off with the, the family members? I trying know. Yeah, I agree. I don't know. And, um, it, it, yeah, it's, he, he looked terrible. It's, it's kind of a, a non-story almost. It's, um, I guess it's cool that he got the, the tree out, though. Yeah, I, I also, dude, Magic Linka, you know, Magic and Rob Palinka, dude, they had the leak machine running on full cylinders today, man, because, like, they were link, leaking left and right to Shelburne and Mark Stein just about how he's not, like, NBA material and, Probably not even going to oh, be wow. the G League team, and, and and even one of the reports said something about him having a bad attitude, which I, I thought wow. that was to think that like, <laughs> character issues. Like he's <laughs> he yeah, needs to be like super grateful to even be there, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> he being like bossy. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So I don't want to I don't want to um, take us too off far, of course. But given that you are uh, in the media business, I'm just curious how these leaks work. So is this basically like when you say these guys are leaking stuff all over? Like I mean. Like Magic himself and Rob Plinka himself, like shooting text to Shelburne or or secret calls on like secure lines or like how does that work exactly? Right. If I had to bet anything, it's you know it's one of them just texting and maybe an email if they're going old school or kind of archaic. Yeah, on yeah. They're shooting an email and they're saying, "Look, this isn't for direct sourcing. If you do that, we'll have someone break your legs." But this is on uh, background, okay. and that allows them to say a source familiar with the workout source said that Angelo's no say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh, man, I almost just want to get into journalism just so I can kind of say, like, sources say or sources tell ESPN or sources tell, um, kind of back to the Woj days, uh, sources tell why or something like that. I think it's pretty cool. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess that's one of the few perks, and I'm saying that with quotes around <laughs> it. Um, I, you know, I feel bad. You know, I kicked off our BS segment getting into, like, the A material here, but did you want to go back at least briefly and talk about, I don't know, us chilling, watching Rocks Warriors game six in Orange County, or, or do we kind of do it? I was going to see you again. You got the, uh, got the cruise. Speaking of the cruise, I'm really liking the cruise. I'm driving in a cruise right now. That's my rental car. Oh, yeah. Um, it's nice. I got a nice little screen. I've got... Um, yeah, like a touchscreen where I can kind of like manage this qual, and I don't know, it's a comfy ride. Yeah, man, I'm, I miss my cruise. I'm driving in that whack Impala now. Uh, oh, you're Impala, okay. But yeah, I mean, uh, did you, anything crazy go for you this weekend uh, after we watched the game? And I was in a bit of a pissy mood because my rocks, they lost that game and they ended up blowing it yeah. in game seven. Um, anyway, I ended up going up to a bar in LA. Well, I went out first to the Dream Hotel in Hollywood. Have you been there? Ooh, I have not. No. Where All right. Well, that's, that's where my girl ended up spending thirty-one bucks on a single. I think it was like a you know oh. kind of thing. She did, or you you bought it? Yeah. yeah. Okay, I ended up getting it, but it was just, <laughs> what? Like how? How? What? Thirty-one dollars? Yeah, man, you're just like a magnet to these things. Like, what are you? You're buying like you buying like sixty-dollar drinks in Vegas, thirty-dollar drinks in LA. Like, what language is that? What, what language I don't know, is but that? have you run into that before yourself or no? Um, well, so I, I can't say that I, it's happened as frequently to me. However, I was in Vegas one time, and uh, we were at a club. So it was uh, a group of us, and, like, there were, um, like, all the, like, the guys with – actually, it was, like, the girls, and then they brought all of their boyfriends while I was there as well. And, uh, so, yeah, we went to a club. Um, we saw, like, I think it was, like, uh, man, what's his name? Steve, shoot, what's his name? DJ. You know what I'm talking about? Steve Aoki? That's right. Steve Aoki. That's who we saw there. It was kind of, I, I actually wasn't even really familiar with him before. I don't really get the whole DJ thing. Um, anyway, so yeah, we were there and then someone got the first round. It's like, okay, I'll go to the second round. So I think I went to go get like <laughs> five, I don't know if it was shots or drinks or whatever. It was like 130 bucks for five of them. Like, <laughs> hey, what? When they told me that. And I'm sure you've gone through this too, but you want to kind of play it off cool because you're with your girl right there. And it's like, huh, okay. Like you, you want to like it's like you could handle it and everything's all right. And you're like Mr. Big Shot, but I was definitely dying inside. And um, yeah, still gives me nightmares today. Not really, but yeah, it was it was pretty rough. No, I couldn't play this one off. And Maddie herself, she was, you know, she was not happy with it the rest of the night either. She couldn't stop thinking about 31 bucks for a drink. Um, yeah, like, why was it so much? I don't get that. Were you talking, like, can you get, like, mid-shelf, or what, what are you doing I don't know. I think it might have been a double, but even then, like, my God. Yeah, no, I agree. My God. <laughs> uh, let's move on to something a little more, one, Rotopope-esque, and a little more, ha- you know, just something happier, because I'm still a little perturbed by that. Um, you yeah. put out a nice piece, a new fresh piece on the Rotopope <laughs> website. Could you maybe give us such a quick synopsis and uh, I'll pepper you with a few questions from there. Oh, thanks, man. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, no, I, uh, I spent a little bit of time on this one. <laughs> it's like a 2000 word plus piece yeah. uh, that uh, one of the main editors and, and founders of the site that I contributed to filed that territory. Like, Hey, we should probably uh, shorten these up a little bit by <laughs> to, you know, 50 to 75%. But um, yeah, so I, I got, a, I got a little bit deep into it. And basically the, the idea was um, we're like roughly two months into the baseball season now. And, a lot of a lot of stats have been able to accumulate, um, but still, like baseball is one of those really weird variable games where um, even if someone's performing really well, like maybe they they haven't deserved it, and, and vice versa. And so that's what I was really trying to focus on was that the latter portion, um, 
you know, who are some of the guys to date who their 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 like surface line stats, their fantasy stats, if you will, look like shit, but maybe um, below the surface, beneath the surface, there's something more promising that suggests better days are ahead. So that was essentially the the goal of the piece, and um, I didn't want to boil the ocean too much, and apparently I still did anyway. So I I, I narrowed it into five guys that stood out most to me. So that I mean that was that was pretty much it, and, and the way that I did that was. Um, I don't want to get too deep into the numbers, but there's basically been some talk in the in the baseball community recently about the predictiveness of um, things like the expected stats. I'm sure you've seen that, and so, uh, or at least I'm sure you're familiar with expected stats. And uh, I think I think the general thought around the community is you see these new stat cast expected stats, and it sounds very predictive, right? It almost implies like, oh, like this is what you have expected, and so like in a way, it kind of implies that there's predictiveness. Right. And so Jonathan Judge of um, Baseball Perspectives, he kind of debunked that myth a little bit and almost even called people who are calling them expected stats as like borderline irresponsible just the way that they were uh, portraying them. And, and then he did some analysis, at least for pitchers, that showed that these stat cast derived stats like expected stats aren't any more predictive than other things that we already had like FIP and um, like Sierra and those kinds of basic, uh, like not basic, but just stats that we had previously. So I thought that was interesting, but um that was mostly for pitchers. He did kind of, Johnson Judge, that is, suggest that it was the same for hitters, and that was the focus on my piece. So I was a little bit deterred, but then um, Nate Fryman, he's actually a former player, he c- contributed to the Fangraphs community and came out with, um, I think that had kind of inspired him to come out with a little bit more analysis on the hitter side. And so he looked at, like, how predictive are these expected stats, like ex-WOBA, so it's like expected WOBA, um, versus just like regular WOBA and other stats. And so uh, he, he found that they actually are more predictive, these expected stats, not not necessarily super predictive on their own but just more like let's say probably about 20 to 30 percent more predictive than like well by itself so that was kind of like the foundation of this piece was that i was going to start with a stat that was more predictive than um another stat that's maybe more often used so i looked at x woba which is the expected woba of these players less or take basically taking the difference between their expected woba and their actual woba to kind of find out who has like the biggest variances in their expected performance and actual performance, and that was pretty much the starting ground. And then um, just kind of picked off five intriguing names from the top of that list, and that's uh, where where you see those names on my list from. Right, and well, I mean, let's jump into them real quick. So some of the guys you highlighted are are pretty big names, right? You got Carlos Santana, who yeah. switched over to the Phillies this year. Matt Carpenter for the St. Louis Cardinals. We have Ryan Zimmerman, who's been banged up for the Washington Nats. Yadi Molina, who, as you pointed out, and I think this might be your best piece of writing to date, he <laughs> he never want to be associated with the evolution of athletic cups, to quote you. And that's the case for <laughs> right now. So that's how you know he's yeah. in a world of pain. Uh, and same with his owners, for that matter. And then lastly, you got Joey Votto, who is, of course, a fantasy as well as a uh, just numbers nerd darling. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, is there anything out of those five guys, is there maybe one in particular you're actually feeling really good about maybe getting their, ex- oh, man. their you know, rest of the season for it to, to match their expected returns? That's a great question. Um, th- there's, a, there's a bunch of different ways I could go with this. I think, I think if you don't factor in, price too much. I think obviously my eyes go to Votto, but I don't think you're really getting Votto at a deep discount so far. I know I've inquired about him in one of the leagues that we're in together. Actually, I own him in one of the leagues, but I also inquired about him 
and um, they're certainly open to dealing him, but he's not really coming at any kind of discount. So I won't talk too much about him. But um, Carlos Santana is really interesting to me in this sense that, um, as I noted in the piece, he's he's still ranked 112th overall right now among fantasy players. And I think he was probably drafted below that even. So he's already kind of returning value on what you drafted him for. And yet it's kind of intriguing to me that despite that, he still shows up so high on this list. So I think that kind of suggests a couple of things. He's obviously in a pretty good situation in Philadelphia if he's maybe not hitting up to what you would expect him to hit up to, yet he's producing these great stats. So that kind of maybe implies there's a, there's a higher upside here. And um, if he can start hitting closer to those expected stats, yeah, that could that could get interesting because I think I was looking at um, depends on the kind of league you play in, but I think his batting average alone is probably 50 points lower than what you would like what his expected batting average is. Right, he's definitely slugging a little bit lower as well. So I thought he was a pretty intriguing name just by the simple fact that he's already kind of producing well, but this suggests there's even more upside. So that was interesting. But the only downside is, as I kind of noted in the piece, is I'm I'm wondering if his owners would kind of see that as well. It's like, well, I'm already getting good value out of him and there might be upset for more, so I'm just going to hold. Right, and, and as you said right now, he's you know he's on pace for about 24 homers right now. He's got eight already, and that's kind of like what you expect out of Carlos every year. And then on top of that, as you were saying, there's probably some optimism there because he's in the top 30, as you noted in the piece, uh, with his exit velocity right now. And he, he's hitting it well. It's just he's hitting it at guys, it seems like. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely so. Um, someone, someone I, I've certainly inquired about, um, kind of a similar situation as, as Votto and that his owners seem open to dealing him and, um, but it's, it just hasn't quite come at the price that I was super happy with. So I've, I've held off. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if he's going to be a big discount guy. Um, definitely a guy though, if you play in OBP leagues to go out and get, I think he's, I, I forgot what his walker is, but it's, it's certainly like well above average, if not two X above average, um, somewhere around 15%. So a really, really strong asset, especially in OBP leagues. And I think points leagues, for that matter as well, because I believe points leagues more heavily weight walks or factor in walks more so than like a traditional 5 by 5 So definitely go out and try to get Carlos Santana in those formats. Sure. Now, the first thing that really popped into my mind when I read your piece was there was a correlation between all these guys, right? They're all, to some extent, pretty well-known players. That, you know, they're established and... They're also, it seems like, I think Santana's probably right around 30, 31, 32 as well. They're all on the wrong side yeah. of 30. And I wanted to ask you, at what point should you, especially as a fantasy owner, be more concerned, I guess, with the point where their age trumps the expected performance for the rest of the season? In other words, yeah. can you at some point just say, you know what, they're probably just falling off the cliff. I can't bank on this actually coming through. Yeah, I think I I really think I don't think that is a huge consideration for me in season. I want to say I want to say it's more one of those things where before the season I might be less inclined to invest in them given their particular age because maybe I think that their projections are going to be less bettable because suddenly um just to be clear, I think projections do factor in aging curves, but maybe a certain player is more prone to a steeper decline. And because of his age, he's more at risk for it than, say, a, a younger player in his prime. So I think I would factor it more in before the season. But I think just by the nature of expected stats, I mean, what they what they take basically is the um, they take your exit velocity on your hits uh, combined with the launch angle to give you a good sense of if, uh, you know, just what is an average ball that's hit at this velocity, at this exit velocity, what is the typical outcome of that? And so at that point, I mean, that's really all a batter can do. Like, they can't necessarily determine um 
like where exactly it goes or where the defense is positioned. And, and that's maybe one thing to be note, uh, note is how is this player being shifted a certain way and they're not really able to respond accordingly. So maybe that would be a consideration. But otherwise, no. I mean, I really don't put too much into it. I think as long as the guy's hitting uh, hitting the shit out of the ball, as I like to say, every once in a while, and um, like that, that gives me a good feeling that they're not necessarily washed and that I would expect ultimately their performance to catch up. The other thing that I look at, in addition to expected stats, is I, I like to look at their plate discipline, so their strikeouts and walks. I think um, one of the things that goes away as you age is your ability to perceive the ball well and, and some of your vision there, and just your your quickness to catch up to the to kind of catch up to the fastball, for example, and get good contact on it. So, as long as those three things are in place, that is your strikeouts, your walks, and, and how you're making how well you're making contact with the ball. Um, man, I, I really don't care if you're 45. If all those things are adding up really well, I, I think I'd be open to investing. Yeah, and let's look at it from the flip side, though. Let's say you actually have some of these guys. Uh, you know, what's the game plan here, and how long can you just, you know, let's say, how can you, how long can you roll with them before you gotta either bench them or just say, uh, I can't really hope anymore that the expected spots are going to come through. Well, I mean, I think, I think for all of these guys, if I, if I own any of these guys right now, and I do own some of them, like Joey Votto, for example, in one of the leagues. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm absolutely holding, and I'm continuing to chop them out, and expecting that at some point their performance will converge. Um, but you you make a great point because actually I went through this last year, and um, it might be somewhat of a tangential point, but um, I own Miguel Cabrera, who is pretty much a darling on this kind of list, where his expected WOBA was well above his actual WOBA pretty much all year. Mm-hmm. And then what we later learned, um, I don't know if we later learned it because I think we had some inclination at the time, but if, if you had looked at that very same list, you would have seen a lot of Tigers on that list. And so mm-hmm. then there's been suspicion that maybe there was like a hot gun or there was something off of the tracking mechanisms in Detroit. So right. and I ended up getting kind of screwed in that sense because I was relying on that data all year and I owned Miguel Cabrera and like people were certainly inquiring and I, I wasn't selling because I was like, dude, these expected stats look amazing. Um, He's still hitting hitting the shit out of the ball. Like everything looks good, so I'm I'm not selling here. And then ultimately, it ended up being a really bad move because he was pretty much bad all year. So that that was a, probably a rare case because I, I feel like usually you can rely on this data. And then I think your question is not really about the integrity of the data. It's more like if this data is true, what do you do? Yep. And um, yeah, I, I think I'm still inclined to hold. Maybe I'm a little bit stubborn and too patient there. But um, as long as the expected stats and the play system looks good. I'm uh, I'm willing to hold rather than sell at a discount, which you probably have to do. And I mean, to your point though, maybe if I if I own several of these guys, like let's say I own all five players in this list, I might be inclined to keep all of them. But maybe if someone's willing to pay me at least like a market rate for any one of them, maybe I would sell just because like a, I don't know, just you don't want to bank on all of these guys suddenly converging. But I don't know more. I, I would say I'm still like more inclined to keep keep all these guys if if they're expected stats look um look really good. Then yeah, I'm I'm more inclined to to hold. Well, okay, and let's go into that then, because you said earlier that you've been kind of, you know, gauging the market a bit on Votto. What are you comfortable actually giving up from Votto? And, you know, for everyone out there, let's keep in mind that, you know, a month and a half ago, he was going, he was going for, what, an auction league, Zarin? He's a 35 to $45 player? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I wish I had, I wish I had really good names for you. I think, I think the way that I would approach it strategically is I would, I would take a look at his rest of the season projections as a starting point. Because, yeah, I mean, you need to be 100% forward-looking. So I look right. at the rest of the season projections. They have him as roughly a top 40 player, like the, the 39th to 40th best player going forward and um, about the fifth best first baseman. So I'd want to take a look at, obviously, players below that point and see if any of those guys are currently performing well ahead of Otto to the point where they might 
be willing to uh, make a deal there. And most likely you'd have to offer a pitcher. So like, for example, my case, um, the owners had been looking to get uh, Clayton Kershaw from me. And I don't know, for whatever reason, I wasn't really pit one to pay that price. I, I would have had to take a little bit of a discount on Kershaw. And I was pretty confident he was coming back soon, which he is this week. So uh, I don't know. That, that that was a case where I thought paying like for Clayton Kershaw was a little bit too high. But um, maybe maybe a, a little bit lower of a pitcher, like maybe a a lot of leagues are always like starving for pitching, so maybe you can give up more like twentieth to twenty fifth pitcher kind of deal. Um right. versus like a top potentially five ten guy in Kershaw. Yeah, good stuff. Uh is there anything else maybe we miss on this piece? I mean, as you mentioned, it's two thousand words and uh, <laughs> that, that that must have been draining, man. Simply salute for going yeah. through and I do highly recommend Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Yeah, no, I mean, it was fun to write. Um, I, I, I tend to write a little bit, like, in chunks, so I, I like to write the preamble, talk about the approach a little bit, and then uh, I just started knocking it out uh, player by player. So I'd, I'd write a blurb on a player, and um, maybe if I was feeling it, I'd go to the next one then take a little break and come back in the next one. So I just kept doing that for five or so and then step away for a little while and review. So yeah, it, it was it was fun to write, um, hoping to be able to take some action on it and try to go get one of these players, and hopefully everyone else is finding it valuable as well. But um, no, I think, I think I'm starting to get to the point too, where um, we'd love to, to learn what's valuable in these pieces and what's not people and, and start hunting in on some more, more valuable stuff going forward. I find it valuable because I think that's what we're always trying to do with fantasy, right? We're always trying to find, you know, value, especially when it comes to trade. And you, it's so fun to target someone that's maybe been underperforming up to this point and you get them and next thing you know, they're, they're balling like old school, uh, you know, Joey Votto. Like that's a great feeling. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's one of the things that draws me most to baseball, because we've noted, and we get a lot of hate from this from big baseball fans, but the game can certainly feel very boring when you're there. But <laughs> it's just such a fascinating game from a numbers perspective because of just how much variance exists relative to a sport that we like talking about a lot, but it's perhaps less variable. Um, like basketball, for example, maybe on a game to game, it's slightly more, it's slightly variable. But like over the course of the season, I, I think. It's really there's really not all that much variance relative to the other sports. Yeah, uh, yeah. Why why don't we move to basketball? Because that actually isn't an exciting sport. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. All right. So since the last time we talked on the pod, at least we had two road teams, which is incredibly rare when Game Seven's on the road. Wow, uh, that's a good call. Man. I didn't realize that. I think heading into the first game, which was this, the Cavs itself, it's something like, you know, road teams only win 20% of the time, so to have it happen back-to-back on this uh, weekend was pretty nutty. Um, LeBron went the full 48, dropped 35 on the Celts in the new garden, went back to his A-Street finals. Um, and then, of course, the Warriors pulled it out of their ass against my Rockets. So yeah. that's where we're at right now. Uh, we, I think we, we got it right here too. I mean, that's what we talked about last week, right? I think we both took the Cavs, and I think I think you did take the Rockets, but I know that you you said that it's like ah, I know that the Warriors are going to take this, but I just can't can't bring myself to actually take them, especially because you had money on the line as well. So um, I think I think it was both fairly like relatively expected what happened. Right, and look as you just said a minute ago with fantasy, you want to be forward thinking, and I kind of want to be forward thinking on the pod too, right? I don't want to dwell on the Rockets sweating the bed here too much, but. I mean, let's let's take a second to actually like appreciate what happened. Like, they actually did have the Warriors on the ropes. They were up double digits at half, and then they it took like a freak 
incident, right? They they missed twenty seven yeah. straight three pointers. They set a record for most consecutive missed three pointers, yeah. and they were good fucking looks, right? Like I felt good about most of those when they were going up, and they just kept I can't playing. say I totally agree on that they were good looks, but yeah, they, they weren't egregious looks, certainly. Well, okay. How how many like quote unquote like good like what do you think of as a good look? Like uh, you're not gonna have like five feet of space every time, but I, they were they getting off clean ish looks. I think half the time at least yeah. they were. No, they they were, I'm sure they were decent, and uh, I know I know like going back to our baseball discussion, expected stats uh, exist for basketball as well. I'd be really curious to see what their expected field goal percentage on those was based on where defenders were positioned. Because I know I know low sets so sometimes I don't think they're public, but it was really interesting. No, I did see. Um, Rachel Nichols mentioned though that um, you would have had a greater chance of getting struck by lightning. James Harden would have had a greater chance of getting struck by lightning um, than missing all of the threes that they did as a team. So it was, uh, man, it's very, 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 very unlikely. But, and I don't know if you're if you're ready for this yet, but um, on a less analytical, mathematical note, I mean, Haraldis Vulgaris, Haralbob. Uh, mentioned uh, and he was pretty insistent about this that like look dude, these guys are completely gassed so it, you can mention all the math you want but it's not it, it's not purely mathematical these are human beings we're talking about and so it's um, not quite as crazy as you want to make it out to be I mean this was game seven uh, they had asked a lot out of James Harden and Eric Gorn who were probably were the biggest offenders outside of Trevor Ariza uh, who was also guarding Kevin Durant the biggest offenders of uh, missing all those threes because I think Ariza was 0 for 9 from 3 Gordon was something like 2 for 13 Harden was 2-15, maybe I mix those up, I don't know, but um, those were the three offenders. Everyone else was, like, roughly, like, fine. It was just those three guys. Yeah, but, I, it, I mean, and it makes sense, though, right? Because those guys were probably asked to carry the three biggest loads where Harden's, especially without uh, Chris Paul, he's doing he's like a one-man band on offense. Ariza's tasked with guarding Kevin Durant, who's seven feet tall, so he's got, like, five inches on him, right? He's also yeah. probably... I don't know. Is he the best? He's one of the top three offensive players in the league, obviously. So that's a pain oh, absolutely top two. So yeah, it's like these guys just had nothing left in the chamber at the end. And I mean, even if they just hit like this tip on attempts from the Washington Post pointed out, right? If they just go, if they just shoot like shit, right? Not just not historically shitty. Not like historically they, shit, yeah. Right. If they if they only make eleven of those threes, then they they freaking win the game. Like the Warriors were giving it to yeah. them there for a minute. They were getting worked on the boards and they were kind of you yeah. know they certainly weren't getting most of the loose balls in the first half so it, it frankly didn't feel right for the warriors to win the series when they were kind of getting out hustled there but that's just where talent trumps everything yeah no i i, I agree with you and I, I don't um i don't want to detract from your argument because i think i think a lot of it makes sense and i think we're definitely in agreement if i could play devil's advocate though and put my ethan Sherwood strauss hat on he wrote in the athletic that um, part of the Warriors' strategy all along, specifically like for Chris Paul and James Harden, was just to tire these guys out like crazy. So like a lot of times you were seeing like Chris Paul being pressed and um, putting a lot of pressure on James Harden, throwing a lot of different guys at him. So supposedly that was a big part of their strategy this series was maybe they saw something in D'Antoni's strategy of very, very reliant on the ISO ball, and they didn't think that was sustainable in a seven-game series of against that kind of talent they had. But um, it sounds like it was like a very, very... Uh, thoughtful and like deliberate strategy to tire these guys out, and I can't say like tactically exactly how they went about doing that uh, outside of like some of that pressing on Chris Paul. But um, maybe maybe like they deserve a little bit of credit though for potentially like seeing success on their strategy. 
Um, no, I think it certainly was the right way to go about it. But look, dude, I think you can afford to do that when you have an embarrassment of riches, right? Like, yeah, I, that, if I may just add to that, it doesn't really seem that revolutionary to me to write to try and tire out Chris. Or I mean, they went after Chris Paul first. That worked well. And then they were trying yeah. to tear James Harden. I mean, that just makes sense to me. Why wouldn't you do that? Yeah. No, I mean, I agree. It was odd how vulnerable they looked without i mean they i mean, obviously Goodall is a big piece but they still had those four all-stars and i think zach lowe has said those are four of the top 20 players in the game which surprised me a little bit because i didn't always think of necessarily like clay thompson as a top 20 player but lowe is pretty insistent that like these guys are like auto top 20 and so yeah it is pretty surprising that you saw them on the ropes i mean they were down 17 i think after one they were down 10 and a half and um it's very very surprising to see them look so vulnerable considering yeah they're they're big talent up like talent balance especially when Chris falls out. So I know you wanted to talk about whether or not you know this puts D'Antoni's system on trial. Um I, I wanna say something real quick and I'll I'll floor to you. I, I think there's two things to talk about here. So people when they like to especially D'Antoni haters, when they like to rag on a system, I think they get it wrong, right? They get it wrong when it comes to the actual offense and, and playing with at a fast pace if need be because Clearly he won, right? Like if you look at the 07 Suns, they are playing at a pace that would be bottom five in today's NBA, right? Like the entire league adjusted to Mike D'Antoni and he deserves a lot of credit for that. I think what you are putting much on right here and what I think is, is definitely warranted is that for someone that likes to play a, a very tiring brand of basketball, he really you know, keeps his rotation tight. And in the playoffs, that yep. seems like you have to bite him time and again, especially when if you look at historically like his team's scoring in the second half compared to the first half, they're just constantly gassed. No, yeah, absolutely. The, the, no, you're right, though. That's exactly what I was going at. I'm um, Maybe I have been a Dan Toady hater in the past, primarily just because of how shitty that his time with the Lakers was. Not that it was his fault, but I think that always left us down. I'll let you keep going. Yeah, and like I said, it's not it's not D'Antoni's fault. It was more about the fact that I thought Phil Jackson might be coming back, and they chose D'Antoni, and then it didn't work out well. Right. I think it was, you just you just kind of uh, associate him with some negative feelings because of that. But uh, no, I mean I agree with you. He's, he's a very innovative mind, and I think my main argument here was like, does he need to evolve further, especially in today's environment where you, I mean, they built this damn team to beat the Warriors, so they were very clearly cognizant of this matchup. So if you think about that for a second. They had him. They, they did. They they might have. They might have had him. But um, that's what I want to get at. Is like, did D'Antoni? Could he have optimized a little bit more around the edges? So I'm I'm not really attacking the system fundamentally. I'm just saying, to your point, if he's going to be so heavy on ISO ball, is there an, is there another way to work in a few more guys into the rotation to reduce the amount of minutes that you're placing and the amount of stress you're placing on on your players like Harden, Gordon, that are doing so much of that isolation. I mean, that's super tiny. You watch it, they just, dude, they look completely gassed by the end. Like, I mean, you saw it and you saw it in the numbers, but they, you can just see it too, where like people are all over Harden for um, like turning the ball over and not playing like very good defense on the stretch. And like even for all Bob was saying too, like dude, the guy's just completely gassed. He's playing like 46 minutes of having the ball like every second and breaking down the defense every second. So something's got to give there. Either D'Antoni's got to become a little bit less ISO heavy or, um, he's got to find a way to like empower his guys a little more and develop more of a rotation and and be able to like spread the risk around, so to speak, um, or a little bit of both. I don't know. I just think there needs to be a little bit of an evolving strategy there beyond what he's always done, which has been 
um, kind of what you mentioned, he, his calling card is always on these very, very tight rotations. I think he played like six and a half guys with Joe <laughs> Green being that half. Right. So, um, I mean, I just wonder, is, is that really conducive to success in this environment where you know the team you have to get through is the Warriors? Uh, I'm completely... And, are, and, and, and I... And I was gonna say, am I only arguing this because they lost, or like, are, what year are you about to say like they were just so close that, yeah, it would work. It would work. Well, what I was gonna say is, in an alternate universe where Luke Richard and Bob Mute is healthy, right? He's not playing with an arm that he can't really raise above his hand or above his head. Pardon me. I think that Mike D'Antoni, again, he wouldn't suddenly be playing ten guys deep, but he probably would have played Luke Richard more because he he was just a zero on offense right now. And I think that really kind of had a domino effect, right? Because he would have helped spell Ariza for a minute. He would have helped guard guys like Duran and Clay Thompson. And who knows? Maybe Ariza goes two for twelve rather than zero for twelve from three in Game Seven. You know what I mean? I think it's a fair point. I think it is. I wonder if there was anyone he could have gone to a little bit more in the series. But I you mean, know, I, I think other people would make Johnson. But he he also looked like he was moving in quicksand when we saw him in Game Six. Yeah. <laughs> True, you were calling for ISO Joe, more of ISO Joe. It would have killed him, though. I mean, maybe D'Antoni's seeing something in practice because we obviously don't really have access to seeing these guys every day like he does. Maybe right. he just like knew that Joe's just not going to cut it in this series against the Warriors. But the point that I was making to you when you were saying, like, why can't we see a little more ISO Joe was, dude, he was a rotation player for the Jazz this year. And the Jazz are, so I, like, their, their coaching staff is very well respected. They were a solid team all year. I mean, obviously he got, I think he got bought out. That's why he ended up on the Rockets, so. Maybe right. like something happened this season where he got a little bit dinged up and he just has less margin for error than he used to. I'm not sure, but I, I thought it was at least worth a look just given all the things we talked about right now of these guys being gassed and needing more guys with the other injuries of Paul and Bob Lute. So I thought it would have at least been worth a shot, but I don't know. D'Antoni probably deserves the benefit of the doubt on that one. Let's uh, let's move on to the series ahead. So we have, and I know you're thrilled about this. We have Cavs Warriors round four. Uh, That's Ivy uh, and Rodney Mills. What do you think? Do the Cavs pull off the shocker of all shockers? And by that, I mean win more than one game? (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say no. No way. Um, (laughs) Yeah, you're you're right. It's really, what's what's probably their over-under on wins? It's got to be like, it can't be point five. It's got to be 1.5. You're right. Even then, you'd definitely be heavily weighting the over on that to incline people to take that. I agree. I mean, do you think they even win one? No, I think you mean you'd be inclined to take the under on 1.5. No, I'm saying as a better, I would be inclined to take the under, but as Vegas, you'd be inclined to like heavily weight the over, like, you know, oh, give it like okay, plus sure. 200 or something like that, so that way people are more inclined to I think so, too. So like, right, let's, I mean, let's just walk through it. Let's do, let's do the calculus on it, so... Maybe you get one LeBron right, he, who just keeps up his mammoth postseason, and he goes forty triple double. He goes forty point triple double. Came okay, yeah, in the Warriors are bored. Maybe, maybe you pull out one game, right? I don't see that happening twice in the finals, right? And, no way. Yeah. And, and there's a real. Yeah, I think LeBron goes forty point triple double, and they lose anyway, like they did to Boston, because the Cavs are not that good, man. No, they're horrible. Tom Havisher did a poll on Twitter asking who people thought was their best player. Dude, everyone answered Kyle Korver. I actually answered Tristan Thompson as their second best player. Like that was the least voted on. Uh, but yeah, I would say like sixty percent of people said Kyle Korver is their next best player. Like, isn't that? Are, are, I'm not saying that's true. We're, we're that was talking. Kevin Love out because Kevin Love was out. Right. Okay. So their third best player. I mean, it's ostensibly just their third best player, which is obviously still pretty high up there in the food chain. People thought Kyle Korver was their third best player. So. Um, 
whether right or wrong. I mean, that's no, I think you're on something there with Tristan Thompson, by the way, because especially against the Warriors, I think you're kind of hoping he can do like a Clint Capella impersonation where he was like getting a right. lot of boards and keeping it on the, on the offensive class. Uh, meanwhile, you contrast it against the Warriors where their third best guy is going to the Hall of Fame, and it's just it's apples and oranges <laughs> here. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, so I, I think it's um, it's auto Warriors are going to win all the games at home. They're going to go up 2-0. And then, I don't know, maybe the Cavs grab – Maybe they grab game three. I think some people were saying that. Uh, I think Windbag, your boy Windbag, already was saying like LeBron just deserves just tons of credit, like historical level credit for getting the Cavs to this point. I actually tend to agree with him, where too much of the uh, of the talk is about like number of rings and stuff like that. It needs to be a little more nuanced, and so I agree there. But I think he was also saying just to further cement that LeBron's got to at least win one game here, just to like not go out swept and to show like well, at least they, you know they. I don't even know how they got one game, basically, kind of thing. So you, you got to think that he'll be able to help them get one with that home crowd. I, I don't know if it's – I'll take game three. Wow. Um, okay, give me, give me give me one game for them, too. But, I'm frankly, I'm kind of inclined to just pick a Warrior sweep because, I mean, dude, the Cavs are just almost historically bad for a team to make it to the finals. Like, they have the, what, top two best player of all time, and then after that they – they're the 29th ranked team in defense. Like it's, it's almost never happened before for a final season right. to be that bad defense and actually make. And that's why Winbag was saying that LeBron just deserves just like an insane amount of credit for being able to get them to this point. And, um, and I, I agree with Winbag on this one. I think, uh, I think the takes do need to be nuanced and yeah, like this should almost be treated as like a borderline championship for LeBron. I, I think you're right there. I definitely count this as half a championship. Um, yeah. Real quick, I'm going to read you LeBron's stats for the postseason. She's got, he's averaging 34 points per game, nine rebounds, nine assists, two and a half combined blocks and steals. That's in 41 minutes on 54% shooting. Wow. The only thing that's probably been bad is the turnovers because I've been seeing him have like these eight cough up games. He's yeah. probably like 4.5. He's at 4.1. But okay. uh, at what point would those numbers not look good, right? Like he could average 12 turnovers a game. I think I'd still be like, whoa. <laughs> well, just I think well, I, I think I also just have more bias with turnovers because we do play some uh, fantasy basketball, and uh, I've always been kind of a big turnovers guy. There, I like to have these really efficient guys. That's why I was always so in love with Chubbs. But he's just like right, and I think that's why you've been so successful because turnover like, guy. Turnovers so uh, um, let's <laughs> let's not talk about the series right now because it's it's frankly the series itself is pretty boring. Let's talk about a couple other things. So. The Cavs in the finals. You wanted to talk about whether or not we think this is a better shot of LeBron leaving town and specifically going to the Lakers, or, or you know, better or worse shot for him leaving. So, what's your take? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I want to get your take actually on that. That that was something I was super curious about. Was um, just given how bad they look going into the playoffs all all year, and then they're already in Game Seven of the Pacers. You, at least I did. I had a pretty strong feeling this would be a pretty short playoff run for them so I was like dude like this is definitely got to give like LeBron's gonna make that this short decision way easier and um yeah I wonder if it I go back and forth on it because maybe if you believe Windbag, maybe this is a huge accomplishment and fans would appreciate just him getting them there and um realizing that it was like really not sustainable and just way too much tax on him especially given his age and all of his mileage. So maybe it is just easier for him to say, like, you know what, dude, I did everything I could. This team stinks, and I'm, I'm moving on somewhere else now. Uh, but I, I thought it would have been easier the 
four, if you had asked me before the playoffs started, I would have hoped for a, a shorter playoff run. So that's why I'm a little bit torn on it. I, I agree on that. Before the playoffs, I was hoping they would get bounced. But I'm actually at the point where I think it frankly doesn't even matter because he, he's brought them their title and he's kind of maxed out what this team can do, right? Like I know they have the eighth pick, but if they had maybe lucked down and got like the top three pick, you could actually trade that for something really nice and tangible for next season. I don't really see them making major adjustments right to next year's team. So I still kind of yeah. lean towards the LeBron is leaving camp. Of course, I'm financially tied to that as well because we have a bet on it. But <laughs> I think at this point, it's like he's kind of playing with house money. Like he's made, he's taken them to four straight finals. They have one title in the sack and he's losing to the best team of all time is what I think. So I, I think he can kind of do as he pleases and it doesn't really matter at this point what happens in these games. Yeah, not that it ever happened, but um, would he be able to leave if they won it? I, so it's harder to, I think, leave the team if they win it. But then again, I catch myself because I'm like, you can just say, I mean, from a yeah, strictly exactly, right? point, it, you can't really argue I'm going to a better team, right? I can't argue that I'm going to a better opportunity to win a title if you're leaving the team that just pulled it off. Um, right. Conversely, though, I think LeBron at that point could just say, he, he would never say this out loud, but he knows that like he's the one making the title, right? He knows that. Wherever he goes, he's making the title contender. So at that point, oh, he can sure. kind of just go with – if he wants to live in L.A., he can go there. If he wants to – I don't even know what – is Houston even a viable option? I, I don't really buy that. Yeah, I saw Chris Paul recruiting supposedly. I mean, those guys get super creative. But, yeah, mathematically, there's only so much room now. They have to like, renounce their entire team. I think they have to get rid of Ryan Anderson. Uh, so I'll have to take him off their, off their books. Uh, yeah, I don't know how viable that is. But, um, but like, what if, like, what if suddenly the Cavs – are able to dangle that eighth pick for someone like, I don't know, say Paul George. Um, I don't think they would have to give up an eighth pick for him because he'd be a free agent, but maybe there's a way they could do like a sign and trade for him. And um, yeah, so that way, is there, is there any way that could happen or is that just mathematically not feasible? Yeah, like my, at first blush, I would think that math would be really hard to pull off, right? Because you're signing someone to a rookie contract and then you're getting Paul George who's making more than 15 mil a year. That's, I mean, you'd have to throw in someone and then would, would OKC want Tristan Thompson or something like that just to get uh, it. Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, I think, um, I don't know, where do you think he's going to go then? Like, if, if you had to put your, uh, well, your crystal ball, what do you think is going to happen? I, well, I mean, I, I'm going to stick with my bet, man. I think he's coming to LA at this point. And I think yeah. LeBron. No, I never. I rarely agree with Bill Simmons on stuff, but I, I do agree with him on the sense that like LeBron, is really smart about the storyline and he gets the narrative of it all. And he knows it's actually pretty easy for him to spin the LA, um, the LA signing because he can say he's trying to follow in Magic Johnson's footsteps and be a mogul, and his entertainment business is out here. And why wouldn't you want to play for the most famous franchise in, in the NBA? So I, I could see yeah, it coming coming to fruition. For whatever reason, I just, like, I, I know, like, we made that bet, so obviously I wasn't buying it then, and for whatever reason, I'm still not buying it. I, I, I'm buying it more than I was at the time, so I gave you three to one odds on it, but um, I still don't think it's going to happen. I don't know, I just, because uh, I, I gave you three to one for his career, also, it wasn't just his offseason, but um, where like, is I he in think he still cares about where basketball. Oh, okay, but... I mean, frank, frankly, like which team minus LeBron looks better on paper, the Lakers or the Cavs right now? 
it's a good question. Um, I, I really think you would take the Lakers, dude. In, in a game, if LeBron was sitting out, you would take the Lakers in that matchup. I think I think I agree with you. I think the one calculus I was trying to do was um, the conference situation, given that the Warriors right. and the Rockets are in your conference. Right, but at this point, I don't think that can even factor in too much because the Celts without Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward, and whatever they get from the draft in the next couple of years, that took them to seven games anyway. The Sixers are on the come up. I mean, those are two pretty decent um, competitors in the East right there. No, I, I, I certainly don't think the East is complete trash like it has been in years past, but uh, they're still not the Warriors and the Rockets. I don't know. I guess I'm trying to talk myself out of it. I just don't, like, what's the what's the reason again? It's just that he, uh, so, like, basketball-wise, you're arguing at worst it's close to a wash, and then get all the opportunities, too. What? Yeah. No, I was just trying to understand the argument is that at worst, it's roughly a wash on basketball terms, and then at best, there's all these additional opportunities, and like in LA, and then just more upside on the team in general, just giving it to youth and some of the other players. I mean, that seems to be the case for me. Um, look, we'll, we'll have all summer to debate this, especially once they rub the, the finals. Why don't we move real quickly yeah. to finals MVP bets? Um, so annoyingly, Sportsbook didn't have those odds up right now, or at least oh, a little earlier right. when I looked. But um, the Cavs were, I think they were plus six, 650 to win the series. Warriors were almost 12 to 1 favorites. And I, I don't know, would, would you feel comfortable betting on anything along those lines, or would you just stay away at this point? Sorry, what was that, Brixie? I wasn't able to, you were a little bit uh, muffled on that last one. It's just what I bet on the Cavs, like at plus 1,200 or something like that? Well, the Cavs are plus 650, I think, for the series, and they're plus 625 for tomorrow's game. Uh, would you feel comfortable taking either of those? Definitely not for the series, no. I would not touch that. Um, probably not for the game either. But I could, I could say auto on the first definite series. I would at least look at the numbers, see what the probability is. You know, the way I the way I sometimes make bets is um, if the probability that they're giving you, such that they're paying you out, like the implied the implied probability based on the the odds are right. worse than the probability of it actually happening. Sometimes we'll be inclined to throw a little shit bet on that and just bet that over time that'll be a winning strategy. So, in that sense, I can't turn I can't completely write it off. But no, you uh, you almost surely won't be fine betting on any of those. Now, you know, I actually did find the MVP odds, so let me run those by you real quick, and I'll get your thoughts. Kevin Durant's the favorite. He's a two to th- two to three favorite. So, for every two dollar, for every three dollars, you're betting only getting two dollars. Not big in that one. Uh, Steph Curry is eight to five, so he's not even two to one. LeBron six and a half to one. Clay Thompson fifteen to one. Draymond Green twenty to one. Um. I look. I'll tell you. I would bet on Steph actually in this one because I kind of think that he should have won the first one last year. He was damn good as well. Uh, so even if he replicated this last year's stats and, and Kevin Durant just wasn't shooting flames for five straight games, I think he could pull that off. Um, what do you think about that? And then do you feel comfortable with LeBron at six and a half to one as a dark horse? I just given that they're not. They're they're gonna probably lose as we just said in four or five. Let's just assume that we're right and they, that they lose in five. 
there's no way, right, that you can get Finals MVP in five games. Like I could see if it went to six. I could see if it went to seven, maybe six, but I just can't see any way where if it's going in four to five games that you would take LeBron. So the people that are betting LeBron must think that this game, this series might go to six or seven, right? So I, I don't think that's going to happen, so I wouldn't take it. Um, I, I'm, I think I'm with you or the other name that kind of caught my eye was I wonder if, like, Clay can get hot enough in this series. We're kind of pulling a Godala. Um But no, I, I think I'd probably take Steph because, dude, is he really going to have three... Uh, Three championships and no Finals MVPs, considering that he won two regular season MVPs. That's got to be, um, I don't know. That's got to be like unprecedented, right? So I I thought about Clay for a second too, but the issue is like he doesn't really like fill the stat sheet that much. So it's like he'd have to like just completely average. You know, he'd have to average thirty five a game on sixty percent shooting for the series, right, for that to happen. Right. Yeah, I don't think it would happen either. But maybe maybe he plays LeBron a lot. Maybe um, he holds LeBron down a bit and uh, he's off for a couple games from three. Like he has one of those game sixes that he had in uh, OKC a couple years back and then just this past series against the Rockets. Now, I will tell you, I, I was thinking about, like, how can we navigate towards a LeBron Finals MVP? I think you're right. It takes six... Six wins, right? So we'd have to have just two games where he somehow wills him to a victory. And even yeah. then, I don't feel comfortable with it because the only time it's happened uh, in the yeah. history was, was nearly 50 years ago. Yeah. That was for Jerry Lewis, who lost in game seven. Yeah, I feel like it really has to go seven if you want. <laughs> if you want to take LeBron, you have to think it probably goes seven. I, I wouldn't do that. For sure. Um, okay, so let's put our picks in real quick and we'll move along to everyone's favorite segment, which is the Seinfeld countdown. Um, I'm going to go – I'll go Warriors in five. It's, it's boring, but I'll go Warriors in five. I'll do the same. Warriors in five as well. All right. All right, well, let's uh, transition over now to the Seinfeld countdown. We are getting down you know, down to the wire here, dude. We're, we're on number yeah, we four. Um, four. I, I'd like you to get off with your fourth episode. Seinfeld. You want me to kick off? Yes, please do. Yeah. So, uh, and so uh, this is the second time I've done this, but uh, I actually watched this ahead of this and you catching it up. So I was like, damn, I should have pushed this a little bit higher. I wonder if I'll think that about the next couple, where I wonder if I'm like, you know what? No, I, I properly put this one below these. But dude, it was such a good episode. As a general theme, another one of our episode four, or I'm sorry, season four, season five. Like that's just like the. The heart, like just basically the Larry David, Jerry Seinfeld peak. And so mine was actually um, the last episode of season five, and that one is the opposite. So they did 20 episodes in season five. This was number 20. Yeah. Dude, these things were airing every week. It had been so fucking tiring being at like the peak of your game. It's kind of like being like at James Harden level, James Harden first, second quarter level for like 20 straight weeks. So it was, it was nuts. But yeah, this one was the opposite. Um, Basically, the season finale of uh, of season five, I believe it is. What uh, any just like general thoughts like jump out to you as I, as I throw that out there? Well, I mean, I it, it, the opposite is something that comes up all the time for me, just in everyday conversation. Where I'm like, dude, I've just been making some shit decisions lately. I need to do the opposite. Even last week, me and uh, listener Eric were talking about our fantasy team that we share together, and we always seem to make the wrong call when it comes to our pitchers for the week. So we were saying we need. To- <laughs> strategy and say do the opposite is right we're going to do the opposite 
Ah, dude, it, it's it's such a good episode, and like a, a larger thought came to mind as I was watching. And I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a rundown of the episode, but sure. um, just like a, a larger thought came to mind as I was watching it, and that is, and I think we've talked about it before, but it just feels like with like, is there a top episode that we've talked about or like that you can think of that George wasn't like kind of like the main storyline that you gravitate towards to talk about? <laughs> No, no. Um, I think George is always kind of the straw that serves the drink for Seinfeld. Right. Yeah, and I think that was what Lowe was arguing. And, and, like, it shouldn't have been that revolutionary when he said it on that old Shea podcast, I think. But he basically was arguing that, like, George is actually the main character, not Jerry. And for whatever yeah. reason, that really threw me off. But, like, it, I don't know. It, it's totally true, right? Oh, it was enlightening for me to actually hear that. I, I definitely yeah. bought into them. I've kind of operated right. under that mic. <laughs> Yeah, I guess just the name of the show is Seinfeld, so you just assume it's Seinfeld and you just kind of leave it at that. But uh, really challenged my thinking. I I enjoyed that, but uh, no, it's like on that on that note, this this episode <coughs> started off with George at the ocean. I always kind of like those scenes at the beginning, and he's just looking into the sea oh. and um, just kind of thinking about life. Not happy. He's got a little <laughs> bit of scruff on his face. You can tell he's just not things aren't working. And then. Um, the scene shifts to the coffee shop, Monks, which we've actually kind of been to, and uh, shows Jerry and Elaine talking, and like right. Elaine's getting says, where, where does it all go wrong, Jerry? He, he does. He comes in exactly. So like, there, Elaine and him are talking, and everything is going well for Elaine. She's getting this new promotion at work. She's um, things are going well with her and Jake Jarmel. They're talking about moving in together, and then George comes <laughs> in. You know, at a perfect timing when the conversation starts to slow down a little bit. And then, you know, Jerry's like, on the other hand, because George just comes in looking miserable, looks like shit, uh, just got back from the beach. And then he tells him that, oh, just got back from the beach. like, oh, the beach. And they kind of know where it's going. And then that's where George's like, where did it all go wrong, Jerry? I had such promise. <laughs> and then he's like, I had such a, I think he says, like, I have such smarts. And then you see kind of Elaine's face, like, kind of scrunched up. And then he's like, sure, maybe not academically, but I have perception. <laughs> Um, and it's just a really nice little like monologue that he goes on there. Uh, because he can always tell when then, someone's uh, uncomfortable at a party. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. So uh, yeah, he goes on that monologue and um, ends it with saying like, "Every decision I've ever made has been wrong." And then he kind of jokes at the end, saying, "Maybe I should just do the opposite." And I think something really catches on there where he's like, yes, like, I'm going to do the opposite. And so the first thing that happens is, you know, the waiter comes to take his um, order and, you know, she asks him, like, you know, what do you want? Or she just tells him, like, oh, you want tuna on toast with a, you know, cup of coffee? And then he's like, yes. And I'm like, wait, no, I'm going to do the opposite. I'll have chicken salad on dry with a cup of tea. And yeah. then um, shortly after... Yeah, like a girl looks at him, and Lane notices, points it out to him, like this very attractive woman, and he approaches her, and just like, yeah, I couldn't help but notice that you looked over at me, and then she's like, yeah, you ordered the exact same thing that I did, and then that's when he kind of just goes into, uh, <laughs> I'm George, I, I'm unemployed, I live with my parents, and then she's like kind of into it, she's like, oh, Victoria, and so that's that's how the whole thing gets kicked off, and there's, there's just so many gems in this thing where, uh, you basically have George acting the opposite the whole way. There's a, there's a few scenes that I really like where they're in the car and uh, someone cuts him off and like, she's like, whoa, aren't you going to yell at that guy? And then he's like, <laughs> he's like, no, not, he's not upset at all. He's just, no, no, everything's fine. And then uh, in the movies too where uh, 
<laughs> those guys behind him are kicking the seats, and, like, the popcorn's flying up. That's when he gets up, and he's just like, well, I'm going to tell you what it's like. You shut your traps. And he just kind of goes off on them, and everyone's clapping afterwards. And then uh, I think later that night, she invites him up to her place, and um, he's like, no, you know, we really, we really shouldn't. Um, we really shouldn't. We we just we just met, uh, and then she's like, "Who are you, George Costanza?" And then he just says, um, "I'm the opposite of every man you've ever met." So that's that's a really good one. And dude, I didn't realize it also, but um, did do you, do you do you ever remember like how George got the Yankees job? Yeah, he tells off George Steinbrenner, and he tells him he's you know he's off at the movies he's made and everything. Yeah, so that was I, I guess I just forgot that that was this episode, and it was Veronica that like her uncle um, <laughs> worked at the Yankees, and she got him the job interview, and then and he, he just shows up like in slug. Yeah, he just comes in like dressed, you know, like looks like shit, and um, and then like the guy likes it. He's like, man, he told me you were different, <laughs> and then that's he's like, I want you to meet someone. And that's George Steinbrenner, played by Larry David, and then George goes off on him. And then uh, George Steinbrenner's like, hire this man. So that's how George starts working for the Yankees. And yeah, man, it's, it's a it's a really good episode. I I took some notes. I'm on my car, so I can't I can't look at them right now. But those are, those are the things that stood out most to me. Sure. Well, I'm I'm happy you brought that one up. Let me actually throw a little bit of Seinfeld trivia at you too from this episode. So this is the episode where Kramer goes on Regis and Kathy Lee, and he pimps his coffee yeah. table, right? <laughs> And uh-huh. Regis is still pissed about his appearance on Seinfeld because, as you'll probably recall, he ends up calling <laughs> Kramer Boncos. Boncos, and, yeah. And it's just like, I mean, it's just like it was kind of like just sounded weird to me. And uh, uh, it seems that it's also kind of rubbed Regis the wrong way too because he didn't like the the word Boncos and he appealed to the writing <laughs> staff to change it and they wouldn't. And he says, huh. I think it is. I, I, I tracked it down in his like um, in his memoir. He said something about why should I become the only Seinfeld guest in history who never got a laugh? <laughs> yeah, he's wow. still about it. I didn't know that. I didn't. I didn't know that he didn't get a laugh either. But I mean, um, like, was he was he expecting to? I, I don't know. I guess I, I did kind of like. I, I kind of got like, a little chuckle. Like, I told you this guy's bonkos. He keeps saying that. Right, but it's, I find it annoying. It's just like whoever. I've never heard that phrase before. Boncos. <laughs> yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't know that before. I, I thought it was like a weird appearance in general where like the, like just, I don't, why did he spit out the coffee? Like it's just a bizarre scene to me eh, where he spits out, it's too hot or something. And then like, is that really the, like that's like the end of the show because he did that? And I was, I thought it was just odd. I didn't really get that whole, that whole scene. Right. And look, I don't want to get into the whole Curb or Seinfeld thing, but frankly, I think Seinfeld relies way too much on like, Kramer physical humor where it just ends a scene just because oh it's funny because Kramer did it and maybe it's not funny right 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 right. all right right. well yeah we don't want to go too deep into that now but yeah it was a good episode uh the only the only thing that I'll that I'll say additionally that I didn't touch on is um kind of going back to the larger book that I had made it was our having like, these really great stories. And so, like, the opposite was the key thing here. It was a straw that started to drink, as you said. Um, the contrasting point that they showed was that Jerry was even Steven, which I didn't really care much for that whole thing. It was just, it was like whatever to me. It was just a why on the wall. But um, the way they tied it in with the characters was George started the episode really down, Elaine up, and then it flipped by the end because Elaine had lost the promotion because it went 
awry because our boss Littman with this like really bad cold. I kind of have this cold right now, so I'm like blowing my nose like crazy. Anyways, uh, Littman, um, he uh, he had like this new big make like merger with these guys, and uh, he was sick and he forgot his handkerchief in her office. And because she was eating all these juji fruits, you couldn't like yell out and tell him. Like she tried, but he couldn't hear. Her. So then he he goes in, he sneezes right before, and they hear him. They're like they're super excited about this deal. They want to shake his hand. And, like, he doesn't want to shake her hand because he sneezes on his hand. And, like, it throws off the whole deal. She loses the big promotion raise. Um, they basically go out of business. And so that's funny. And meanwhile, like, everything's up for George. Um, you know, he's got this new job and everything. And then, like, Elaine even lost her boyfriend because the same Juji Fruits. Because, like, she stopped off. She heard about uh, Jake Jarmel getting hit by a car. And then she stops off for Juji Fruits still because she's right by the counter. And that kind of uh, ends things a little bit between them. So, yeah, it's a... Uh, it's a, it's a really funny one there. I always, for whatever reason, really liked Mr. Lipman. And he never really even did anything that funny, but I just kind of liked him for yeah, some he reason. Really, he does. He doesn't, he's, he doesn't really add much value. I'm, I'm fine with him, but... <laughs> the actor has a great name, by the way. Richard Fancy is the real name of Mr. Lipman. Richard Fancy? Yeah, huh. that's a great stage name. There's no way that's his real name, but... <laughs> Not Good stuff, Ricky. I'm I'm with you, man. The opposite's an all timer and one you always go a Seinfeld novice, I think. Oh yeah. Um if you will, I'll hit you real quickly then with mine, which is season six, episode seventeen, better known as wow. the doorman. The what? The doorman. Oh, the doorman. Yes, I do like this one. I know you the do. Doorman. And I I was kind of worried, actually, you might bring this one in the top ten. Um, Interesting. Quick synopsis. Jerry has a, a series of awkward run-ins with the doorman at Elaine's apartment. At one point, you know, he's talking to him about how you know, he's like, oh, hey, he's reading the paper. And he goes, hey, how about those Knicks? He's like, oh, I'm just the doorman. I could be reading the, you know, the, the, reading about Wall Street or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, like the business section. Yeah, it's a, it's a great guest appearance by Larry Miller as the doorman. And, you know, at one point he, he suckers Jerry into watching the door for him when he runs out to get <laughs> a beer. And the next thing you know, yeah. Jerry has the same issues with him where the, the uh, UPS guy's asking him about the Knicks and everything like that. Anyway, um, this one's good because it's also the one where Kramer and Frank Costanza try and go into business together. Does this ring a bell? No, this is where they do the bro this episode? Same episode. Wow, I forgot about that. So that's what I think really puts it over the top because you got two, I think, pretty decent storylines there. And the bro ends up, I think, be- <laughs> Frank prefers the man's <laughs> ear. And <laughs> he gets them a, a meeting with Sid Farkas, who you know we've seen right. an accountant, uh, his friend that's in the bob business. Um, yeah. And here's the thing. Farkas actually loved the idea, but the, the, the red... Uh, the red herring in was, do you recall why the deal actually didn't go through? Yeah, because Sid Farkas all of a sudden starts going out with Estelle, Frank's wife, because they're kind of like on the outs at the time, they're separated, and he stopped short on her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, he asks, he asks out, or pardon me, he asks Frank, rather, if it would be okay for him to go off the He says, no dice. Um, it's also, early in the episode, George is kind of freaking out a bit because he's, he's worried about his own man boobs. And, and, <laughs> That's right. Uh, he's in the car with his mom, like and he shaking. asks her. Yeah, and he asks them, uh, Estelle Costanza about his grandma. You know, she's like, <laughs> nice. Like, 
she buzz me? Yeah, exactly. And then buzzing me? You want to know if your grandma was buzzing me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. He's like, Wait, I, I, I like his response. He's like, I thought the information could be relevant or something like that. Yeah. No, the reason I like this one, I'm not going to add too much more to it, but I kind of like it just because of what just happened there, where it's one of those classic Seinfelds where you got a couple things going on and you almost forget that this is the one with the bro, right? It just kind of seeps yeah. into your overall Seinfeld knowledge and then it, you just carry it with you. But sometimes you can't even point out which episode it is. It's just, it's, it's just kind of innate almost after you've been watching the show for so long. No, exactly. And, and that's the one where Frank is staying with George too. So George finds any way to get his parents back together, I think. Um, so you need to get Frank off his couch. Right. Right. Uh, I, I, the only thing I would say about this one is that, um, I mean, it's kind of cool that we can appreciate and like just enjoy it because it's not like a relatable thing at all. It's a doorman thing. It's totally a, <laughs> it's a New York thing and then more of like a bougie thing. But I, I liked it. I loved how, uh, how like Elaine was like, oh, the doorman. What do you tell the doorman say when uh, they're like investigating, I think Jerry leaving the post and some stuff getting stolen. No, I actually, that's the thing though. I actually find it kind of relatable because I think we've all kind of had a time in our life where <laughs> it's like you're almost like rearranging your life not to run into someone. Like I, I, I guess my, whenever I know that my apartment manager is going to be at, at, at our complex, which is usually on Friday mornings, <laughs> whatever the hell I can to avoid her ass. Like I just do <laughs> not talk to her. Uh, that's, that's good. Yeah, I guess you're right. Actually, I guess in that sense it is pretty relatable, but um, yeah, no, it's uh it's, it's a good one. Um, I think it's more. Oh yeah. Thank you very much. I guess we're going to have uh, some of the mental car people in there. <laughs> I guess again, I got a live read of my life. <laughs> good stuff. Well, on that note, Brooksy, we'll let you handle that. Um, everyone can find you at the Roto Pope spelled like it sounds on Twitter. Yep. Right. And as yep, for absolutely. Me, I'm at Sean B 44, but don't waste your time on that one. Uh, we'll keep our eyes open <laughs> for rotopope.com for more sweet content. And we'll be back next week. I take it. Yeah, of course. Every week. All right, bud. Good talking to you. All right. See you, Brooksy. Thanks.